Welcome back to another episode of Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning the Marvel world of film and TV shows. Um, today, we have our usual crew of Adam and Rhiannon with us, and uh, guys, how are we doing? I was just talking to Adam. It is still frigid. It's April 15th, and we are still in the cold. Is it as terrible where you guys live as where it is where I am? Because it seems bad. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Plus, we just got a foot of snow over the past two nights, so not good. I know. Not good. This is the most we've gotten all, all winter slash spring, so I have no idea what's going on anymore. I feel like I'm not allowed to complain about anything winter-related, considering I spent five months in the Caribbean this winter. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't, it, it's just, it's, it's taking my hope from me. Like it's just, it just keeps going. I keep thinking, Oh, Hey, we're turning the corner. It's going to get nice. And then no, it doesn't. So I don't have air conditioner yet. So when it does get hot, I panic. <laughs> like yesterday I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to roast. <laughs> I would be where you live. I mean, I, I, I forget how many stories you are up, but it would scare me in New York because I would be afraid that my air conditioning unit would fall out of my window and crush somebody below me. Yes. That would be like a deep fear in the back of my mind. My window opens up onto the roof of something else. I don't even know what. Um, so that's the least of my fears. And I'll get it professionally installed. That's like a requirement of the building. Well, there you go. We don't want any Jessica Jones season two situations going on with yeah. random stuff <laughs> falling know. from the sky on top of people. <laughs> if I had a street front window, you guys, I would be decorating it with so much random stuff. Just like I would have my little daredevil in the window right now. Maybe, maybe silly signs or something. Let's jump into the news. We're going to start out with a bunch of Infinity War stuff. Uh, first of all, Infinity War is now on pace, according to some of the uh, tracking sites, to be the biggest opening weekend in the history of movies. Um, I don't think that's super surprising. Uh, there was also the crazy news this week that Fandango has sold twice the tickets to Infinity War that they've sold to Black Panther at this point before release and that they've sold more tickets for like the, the so more tickets two weeks out than for the last seven MCU movies combined um do you guys have your tickets I mean are we are you already planning multiple trips I mean wh where, where are we at in our uh, Infinity War plans here so I forgot to plan and only bought my ticket like in the past week. So I have to wait until 8 o'clock on Thursday night to see it. Instead of being able to see it at like one of the 6 o'clock showings. Um, but I wonder... I mean, but I'm going... Well, I mean, I'm going opening night, obviously, because I want to go opening night. But I wonder if a lot of people are choosing to go very early and they're buying their tickets ahead of time because they are so afraid of being spoiled. You know, I wonder what the second week viewing is going to be. That's a good point. I don't the the thing that was seemed crazy to me was that the number was this past seven Marvel movies combined, it's outselling. 
it's I think it's going to track for a lot higher than they're saying and they're still saying two to what 230 kind of around that range ish is what I've seen yeah the latest was 235 uh, to 255 I think yeah so I think even then it's going to go for a lot more than that and you're the box office guru so I'll uh I'll take your word for it but if we had to do over and under at 235 I would take the over no questions asked after Black Panther I I, I'm not I don't know anything apparently because that movie did far <laughs> you know like I I was yeah. I, I was taking the over on Black Panther like with the um what the projections were saying you know I was like oh it'll do much I think it'll do better than that and then it you know did another like 50 or 60 percent above what I was thinking it would do so uh this one I think is yeah it's it's gonna be huge we were talking a little bit. I, I think some of this Fandango stuff is also because movies are different. Like nowadays, a big movie like this, the tickets go on sale and you like, it's almost like a play, you know, like you race to the the box office, you know, and you try to get your tickets early and you try to reserve a good seat. I mean, particularly like when we were kids, movies used to be something that like, you know, you went out to dinner and at the end of dinner, you're like, Oh, do you want to see a movie? Yeah, sure. And you'd go over to the theater and just buy a ticket and wander in 10 minutes before it happened. And I do feel like they've changed a lot, particularly with reserved seating becoming a thing where people buy their tickets ahead of time now. And so it's kind of changing the way that this works. And I think it makes these Fandango numbers interesting because some of this is not just to me interest in the movie. It's also that, in two or three years, we've changed how we buy tickets altogether. Definitely, but for this kind of number, it has to be interest in the movie. I mean, you get different numbers for A Quiet Place or, you know, the next Will Ferrell whatever, you know, just because people buy their tickets differently. But the type of numbers they're seeing for this, and the fact that it's outpacing Black Panther, I just... That's unimaginable. You know, can Marvel have two billion dollar movies this year? Oh, oh. Sure. they already have two. Do- I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's it goes without saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's gonna be they're they're making lots and lots and lots of money over at Disney. I think they'll they'll be very happy. So, I still feel bad for Ant Man and the Wasp though, because after Black Panther. <laughs> After Infinity War, it's kind of like... I mean, I could see the headlines now. It's going to be like, Ant-Man of the Watch doesn't live up to hype or, or something of that nature when it comes in with a salty $650 million or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. The thing is, it could it could add another 50-60% to what it did last time. And everyone will be like, man, whatever. You know, like, it just <laughs> yeah. it won't it won't hardly register. All right, uh, moving on with more Infinity War news. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen was being asked about a Scarlet Witch solo movie, and she was saying that she'd love to do it, and it'd be interesting to do House of M. Um, I feel like this is actually a decently important story and that it tells me that Avengers 4 is not going to be House of M. You know, like we knew it wouldn't be exactly comic book House of M, but the way she's talking about it suggests that like Scarlet Witch going crazy and reshaping reality is not where we're going in Avengers 4. So that at least 
crosses one off the list. Because I think two weeks ago, I all of a sudden was like, what if that's what they do? What if her going, you know, like, what if Scarlet Witch going crazy is the, the surprise twist at the end of this one, you know? I mean, that's, yeah. You think they they would do a Scarlet Witch solo movie, though? Um, no. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think more likely they would do a Scarlet, I mean, even in the comics, they did a, a combo, right? Scarlet Witch and the Vision. They did a book like that for a while. So I could see a Scarlet Witch and the Vision movie. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think they'd make the Eternals either, but we keep hearing that that's <laughs> happening. So Good I'm not point. really sure. Well, I don't. I don't know what they'll do. You know. Good point. House of M would be a uh, would be a solid movie, though. I'm not sure how uh, it's most certainly uh, once the X Men come in board for quite some time because you can't introduce the X Men and totally take all their powers away, but. Well, I th- was it Michael Ford or somebody was suggesting that they could they could do a House of M that actually does a reverse of what the comics did, so like she goes crazy, they create like an al- like an alternate world where all the characters are in different situations, and then at the end of it, she puts mutants into existence by speaking it, and then now all of a sudden we have X Men in the the universe, you know. Solid theory. The X-Men just replaced in humans. Easy enough. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate no it. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Rhiannon, would you like to see a Scarlet Witch movie? I, it's nothing I've ever wished for. No. I mean, I don't even feel... I, mean, I don't feel like in the movie-verse I really know her character much at all. I mean, she she's so upstaged by all of the other characters to me. I know she had a really prominent role in Civil War, but um, she's not what I... I, I, I mean, we've every time we get through this stuff, I'm not a huge fan of solo movies. I'm in it for... I mean, other than a few characters that just I love, and I would watch those characters reading the phone book. Um... I like the ensemble movies, the ensemble TV shows, in theory. Um, so I don't care for each character to have their own little solo adventure. That's an interesting tension, I think, because you mentioned you don't you feel like you don't know her character well, and you don't love the solo movies. But the isn't I mean the solo movies is kind of how you get to where you love a character though too. You know, like maybe we'd know her better if she did have her own solo movie. And I probably would. I mean, that's why I trust that Marvel will give me stuff that I don't know I want. Uh, as they've talked about the uh, rollout of Infinity War, um, apparently most of the cast doesn't know what the movie's about still. Like, Paul Bettany and Tom Holland were saying that like they've seen their scripts and they know what they shot, but they don't really know. They haven't seen the whole thing. Apparently most of the actors are going to see the final, like, um, will finally understand how the movie fits together when they see it at the premiere at Los Angeles. Um, do you think that's a, is this a good way to make a movie or would it be good for these actors to know where they're going or is it, it, does it seem a little overprotective to you or what do you, what do you think when you hear that these guys haven't actually seen the movie that they're in? I mean, they must be phenomenal actors to be able to put any emotion. I mean, we anticipate that there's going to be some incredible emotion in this movie in some way or another. So getting to that place without knowing why you're there or where it's going either. 
because they said they actually wrote fake scripts for some of the actors. So either they did a phenomenal job on those fake scripts or these actors are just able to do a wonderful job. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. If I saw the fake script things and I mean, you got to be one hell of an actor to go through this and do something that you're not even sure if it's real. So I do, however, if the, the fake script stuff is true, it would be unique to see them release it sometime after the movie to see the the different things. So, Speaking of which, how does one get a job writing those fake scripts? Because I'm totally interested. <laughs> Did the people knowing? Did the people writing them even know they were writing fake scripts? Yeah. Like, hey, you get to write an Avengers script, and we're filming it. It really makes me wonder that you know we we are not super close to the action, but we know some people who know people who work on these movies, and so like you know, in our position with the podcast and website and stuff, we occasionally get rumors we hear like from people oh i heard this or that was going to happen it does make me doubt even like those people you know like does anybody really possibly know what's going on it makes you far more dubious of anything you hear when you find out that the russo brothers are handing out fake scripts you know like paul bettany could have told someone oh yeah, this happens in the movie and he's actually talking about a fake script that's in his hand and he doesn't know. I find that very interesting for kind of the, the blogosphere and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. It's true, because we have heard some stuff, or at least, I mean, those of us that have chosen to be spoiled on some stuff that I've just been assuming is true. This is happening. This is what it is. And maybe it's not. The last thing I wanted to mention with Infinity War, uh, Zoe Saldana was uh, interviewed about uh, MCU movies and what she thought about them, and she just had this really great little bit that I enjoyed, where she talked about uh, actors who are too cool for school and don't want to do Marvel movies because they, they only like to do higher art film. And basically, she was like, I can put on green face paint and walk into a hospital and help a kid with cancer feel better. If that's selling out, I'm happy to sell out. You know, like just really kind of getting at some of these actors of, you know, you can take your Oscars and and shove them. I'm pretty happy doing something that makes kids believe in themselves. And I just thought that was very brilliant. I don't know. I had a really good time with that because in the end, People should make movies so that people want to see them, not so they win awards to make them. And that's not necessarily, that doesn't have to be different things, but I thought it was pretty cool for her standing up for that part of the, uh, the old cop, the whole, the whole business here with comic movies and all that stuff. So, all right. Um, there was some talk this week about the Black Widow movie. Sebastian Stan was asked, uh, if he would be in it and he got real excited about being in it. And then also started to talk about how great it would be for Winter Soldier to be in an origin movie for uh, Black Widow and telling how he kind of trained her in Russia and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just thought it was interesting that he immediately went to the origin movie. It seems like he's voting for that uh, that perspective on it. Um, 
if well, well we're, it seems we're getting a Black Widow movie. Do you guys think Bucky is definitely needs to be part of that, or do you would you like to see her uh, kind of do things without Bucky floating around? I like Bucky. I want to see Bucky in a Black Widow movie. And I think that is interesting that it goes straight to the origin story. I think they can have Bucky in it and still make it very, um, you know, make it so he doesn't overshadow her. You know, I, I would hate for the Black Widow movie to become the Bucky movie. You know, I, I think they've done a good job of sprinkling in stuff like that without making it, um, you know, without taking away anybody's thunder. And to be to be fair, when Black Widow was in Winter Soldier, I don't feel like anybody asked the question like, oh, it's not going to feel like a Cap movie because Black Widow is going to, you know, like overshadow Cap. So we probably don't have to really worry about asking the, the inverse question, it seems to me. Yeah, I don't know. It's just hard for me to get excited for spy type movies. I'm not even a big Bond fan. I think I, you are, Caleb, but I, I, I can't even get excited for bond movies let alone black widow or some other spy type red room stuff what was that uh one that jennifer lawrence just had one come out um yeah i don't know we'll see i mean it's uh, yeah i guess i'm trying to think do they have history in the mcu i can't remember back to winter soldier uh they said they fought once there's like a scene where they're talking about Bucky and Scarlett Johansson's like shows like a scar that she has like on her hip or something like Bucky was the closest that anyone got to killing her in her old KGB days or whatever. It, it does not ring a bell at all. <laughs> no, that totally went over my head, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, if that's what they're going to base the movie around, I, I don't know. It just doesn't trip my trigger. I think there's a legit question and we'll see with Spider-Man in next year. Um, we're going so big with infinity war. Can we go from a cosmic battle and maybe multiple realities and the infinity gauntlet and Thanos? Can we go back to a Spider-Man movie with Vulture or like a fun little spy caper and it feel okay? Or are we just going to be like, oh, this is kind of small. You know, like, I want to go back, because if there's no going back, then this really is the end of the MCU. You know, like, we have to have variety in those things. But it just, it's kind of worrisome that the stakes are going to have to feel like they're getting bigger and bigger all the time to keep people's attention. I mean, we're getting another Guardians movie, so we're going to have fun in the MCU in the future. I mean, they're not going all seriousness. And I imagine that Infinity War, even, the stakes are going to be high, but there's going to... I mean, we've already seen in some of the previews. There's going to be humor. I I think they can go back... I mean, we'll see with Ant-Man. We'll see how it feels after all of this. (laughs) Yeah, one more way that Ant-Man might be a terrible disappointment. (laughs) Or wonderful. I mean, after this intensity. I mean, Netflix has done a study on what people watch after they watch really intense things. And it shows that once you've watched a really intense, you know, like after people watch Jessica Jones, they go straight for something lighthearted and, and campy, 
you know, so so it's the same thing. I mean, after Infinity War, people might flock to like, oh yes, it's one of our heroes that's not having to save the universe. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. No, I'm totally that way. I have shows that are like co- connected in my brain in very odd ways, like Battlestar Galactica and uh, Arrested Development are connected in my brain because after I watched Battlestar, I would watch an Arrested Development to kind of like watch something cheery before I went to bed. And Jessica Jones season two and community are connected for me. Cause after we'd watch Jessica, my wife would be like, I want something funny. And we'd watch an episode or two of community before we went to bed. So yeah, I have those shows that are like oddly synapse connected in my brain. <laughs> so uh, speaking of Jessica Jones, uh, they officially gave it a third season this week. I don't think this is crazy surprising. I think it, um, you know, I think we all felt like it was decent. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts much one way or the other? I, for me, it's kind of like, oh, all right, it's happening. I'm, I'm not super excited, but I also probably would have been surprised if it didn't happen so any thoughts how far do we how far do we think they're they're going with these do we think they're just gonna keep on keeping on or i don't know i mean the 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 defenders is practically done with right and then i mean is luke and danny each gonna get a third season where's it end with these people (laughs) i mean and, and that's where like will daredevil get a fourth season if so do they already know it's happening because the showrunners, I mean, Jessica Jones, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, you know, thankfully we can finally talk about this. So I get the feeling that they've known for a while that there was going to be a third season. So, I mean, it, I go back to my old line of, is there a long-term plan that they're just not sharing with us? <laughs> Stop it! Caleb's shaking no, his head. No, sorry. I mean, it would be nice, but I don't think so. Um... Yeah, I mean, for some reason, Jessica Jones season three doesn't sound as crazy to me as like Daredevil season four. Like, but they're getting really far there. Um, they took Orange is the New Black, what, six seasons, seven seasons? They've, they've, I mean, when Netflix likes a show, they keep supporting it. So, yeah, I mean, they kept making House of Cards long after I stopped watching it, so... They're making it without Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah. I really... It make What it makes me want to know, kind of along Adam's question, is I want to know what the contract looks like. Like, when Netflix and, and, and Marvel agreed on this, did they give these guys... I mean, it, surely they're not dumb enough to make, like, a Sony deal. Right where Sony had had Daredevil or Fox had Daredevil, as long as they kept making a movie every like three years or five years or whatever, you know, like and then they had then they lost the character, but until then Fox had the rights to it. Surely Marvel has some kind of clawback in case they want to put Daredevil in a movie or if they want to try something different with the character, but. Thus far, we don't see any suggestion of where, you know, was it a five-year deal? Was it a 10-year deal? Is it as long as Netflix wants to produce it? I, it, it immediately makes me want to, like, you know, do investigative journalism and find, like, a contract somewhere so we can know exactly how this thing works. 
Because it would be really weird if we got to a point where Kevin Feige's like, I think I'd like Daredevil back. And Netflix is like, nope, sorry, man. Season 18 is on the way, you know, like we're keeping this going. Well, and I think the interesting point on that is when we've heard all the rumblings, whenever the question is asked about the movies overlapping, we have heard that there's a lot of corporate stuff and whatever, but they've never outright said, oh, Netflix owns those characters or... I mean, maybe the verbiage that they're using is a masked way of saying that, but I haven't heard it. I think they could grab them if they wanted to. They just have too many hoops to jump through. Right. I just hope it's not the Netflix. I hope it doesn't get to the point where Netflix feels so much pressure from this new Disney streaming service that they just keep pushing stuff out. Because I think... Caleb was the one to say that Netflix is making so much original content now, they're actually starting to do bad content. So I don't want them getting to the point where they're just pushing out season after season after season of Marvel stuff just to have it out there, you know? Yeah, and I feel like there's something about... You know, I mean, people have talked about kind of how revolutionary Netflix is and how they don't care about ratings and they do things by a different set of rules... Whatever that set of rules is, it has space for, like, two terrible Adam Sandler movies a year, right? (laughs) Like, there's space in the Netflix rules for garbage, and so that's, it's a little, I don't know, like, early on, you could tell that Netflix really wanted high prestige stuff, and we have gone from, like, the Netflix being, like, HBO 2, where they make, like, all this, you know, Emmy bait to Netflix being like, hey, does your movie suck and you don't want to bother with a theatrical release? Sell it to Netflix and we'll put it in people's eyeballs. And as long as we get 15 minutes from, you know, 6,000 people on a Friday night, that's good with us, you know? So that is a little concerning to me. All right. um, Let's go ahead. Um, Rhiannon, you had shared this with us. Luke Cage season two, the director's list is coming out. And there are a lot of female directors on this show. I was a little confused from the article. If it is it exclusive female directors or just mostly female directors? I felt like the headline and the article said slightly different things. So I was not I, sure. The article that I read, which may not have been the same one that I shared, because um, I feel like I saw it in two different places, said they had all female directors. Which fits, I mean, we knew way back when they started filming the first episode that Lucy Liu was the director on the first one. And that was around the same time they announced that Jessica Jones would have all female directors. Um, And I haven't really looked at the list much to see what the overlap is between Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, the directors. Um, But yeah, this is pretty exciting. I mean... To me, this is more exciting than women directors on Jessica Jones. I mean, in a way, it makes sense for Jessica Jones to have the female directors, but it also could feel like kind of a niche thing. Like, oh, we do shows about women. We get women directors. And, you know, but it's important that, you know, we have women directors on shows that are about male characters, too. You know, like that it's it's not just. uh... Yeah, it almost it just feels almost patronizing. You know, when it's was exclusively kind of gender connected or whatever. 
I think it's interesting too that Agents of Shield is kind of part of this. I think Agents of Shield has used a few female directors before. As we went, as I went through that list of who's on Luke Cage, one or two of them in their credits mentioned that they had done Agents of Shield episodes previously. So I I do find it interesting that that's one place where Netflix and ABC, I guess since ABC Studios is involved in it, some of the directing talent gets shared back and forth between the Netflix shows and the. Uh, well, we won't call them ABC shows. The ABC show, there's kind of some connection there. So, yeah, and it, um, I mean, this is something that I think the higher ups like Casada. I just did the Quesada thing again, Casada. Um, like a quesadilla, please. The quesadilla, Quesada. Um, has an actual input because I actually I listened to the Kevin Smith podcast while I was traveling this past week and he um he actually he asked if he could direct an episode of Daredevil and Casada like he asked Casada directly and Casada was like dude you're directing CW shows we can't do that um, you'd have to walk away from those to come and direct Daredevil um so so I feel like you know the there is a lot more sharing of directors. I mean, especially because the director comes in and does one episode. So once they know that overarching network, they like to share them around. Uh, this week in the news, uh, they were talking to Haley Atwell and she was talking about why agent Carter was canceled. And it was kind of interesting. She basically said ABC really liked her and was thinking that if they put her in something that was a little less genre based, it could be a big hit. And she was kind of lamenting that her show that she got put on obviously did not last very long and that she kind of lost what was going with Agent Carter in order to move to something they hoped to be more popular but wasn't. Uh, and then she was just kind of saying, you never know, comic book worlds allow all sorts of crazy things to happen, I could come back, blah, blah, blah. Now that we're this far removed from Agent Carter season two, if there was a revival season three... Do you think you guys would be pumped about it? Or would you like to see her come back as like <laughs> in the video of the live stream that we do for the Patreon people? Um, you can see Adam already shaking his head pretty much. You're, you're pretty done with it, Adam, as far as Agent Carter. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. I just I, I didn't. I mean, I watched it when it was on, but it wasn't anything I'm chomping at the bit for a renewal for, you know, I totally understood why they didn't renew it. Um, I don't know, but people have their, uh, favorites, you know, there's kind of a cult following of agent Carter, just like there's apparently a cult following of inhumans out there somewhere. So, Is that real? Or are you just messing well, with I'm us? Like, sure are there people that really that love that show? <laughs> well, they're, yeah, there was that one petition, the the renewal petition went around, and I, I, t I clicked on it and signed it, so there's at least, like, four people that signed it? I don't know, there's a lot. Last I checked, it was up to 250. I don't know, I don't think that character warrants her own show, I guess. I understand how integral she is to S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff, but maybe another season if they showed us... Her forming shield, I guess. You mean if they actually made the Even show they I promised mean, us that they were going to give us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that type of stuff. Um, it's ever, I don't know why. 
at this point, why would they bring back a show that it's been what two years, three years since season two? Yeah, something like that. I still haven't watched season two of Agent Carter. <laughs> That's right, I forgot. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, shame and all, but you haven't found like if I need you're, more. You're not missing lots of the continuity. Like you don't watch other shows and go, "Oh, I wish I had seen Agent Carter." I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know what I don't know, but if I need more Agent Carter, she's out there. I am very interested in, you know, her relationship with characters through the years. So if she pops up in Captain Marvel, that'll be awesome. Like, you know, I, I like the idea of these characters that come in and out of the MCU. So it's not that I have no interest in the character. It's that I have no interest in her standalone show. Yeah. I feel like this is a, an example of a character that would do really well. I mean, I don't know if we want to go on this territory, but like a Netflix direct movie or, you know, like almost like direct to video now, you know, like I, I don't, I think the TV show, I, I don't want them to try to create nine hours of an agent Carter show. But if somebody had a really great plot for Agent Carter and Dum Dum Dugan teaming up to try to stop the Russians from getting something, and maybe a young Scott Lang could show up or something. Not Scott Lang. A young um, Hank Pym. Right? You know, like, if they could get a really great storyline for a 90-minute Netflix movie, toss 10 or $20 million at, at making it, I think that could be fun. And I think it could be a lot of, you know, I just think people could have a good time with it. And it doesn't have to be a big blockbuster. They don't have to try to stretch out and squeeze that much story out. I just feel like we're maybe moving to a point where the the Netflix movie or the, the Disney's mouse flick streaming movie should become a thing, you know? Last bit of the news. Uh, I, we'll just, I'll do this thing where I read the news real quick and we'll be... Uh, done. Uh, Agents of Shields finale is coming on May 18th. That's not a surprise. It's just one episode a week from now until May 18th. Uh, and the last episode is entitled The End, suggesting we might get an end to that show. Um, Clark, Clark, speaking of that, Clark Gregg has wrapped, uh, well, they've all wrapped on Agents of Shield, and he has made his way over to the Captain Marvel set now to start filming his scenes for that movie, so that's exciting. Uh, and Legion has been nominated for a Peabody. So apparently the Peabodies are the only awards to give any love to Marvel TV shows. So that's kind of, uh, kind of cool. So we've talked before about Legion and how it's really not well set for reviews. So, um, we haven't really got any questions yet from the, uh, the listeners. If you have an idea of what we should talk about with Legion, please send that question in. So I'm going to try this, uh, these questions today. I have three quick questions for Legion, and we will move on. Uh, I talked last week about maybe um, your favorite shot or a favorite visual you have, but I'm going to expand that just a little. What is one aesthetic thing that happened in the second episode? It could be a song. It could be um, the way they shot something. It could be a visual. It could be a set. What's one aesthetic thing from this last episode that you really enjoyed? I don't believe it's the first time we've seen it, and it definitely was in the advertisements, but him walking up to the crystal ball and the upside-down shot in the desert, um, 
that just caught my attention. I was going to say that one, but my second one would be the uh, pseudo-dance hallway thing where Oliver was apparently exploding people or disintegrating them or turning them to ash or something. I thought that was kind of cool. And then when uh, David was in his water bath thing and his head was shrinking and doing kind of like the Guardians 2 type time jump stuff i thought that was yeah i uh part of the reason i changed the question my favorite thing was when um lenny and oliver were singing that really old like pop song was it like um uh oh it's the uh with your moonbeams home in a jar and be better off where you are or would you rather be a pig and they were you know like that song that the two of them were singing as they walked into the hallway whatever it was i just thought why are they singing was that on the radio as they were coming in or to like the two of them just sit around going hey what pop song of 50 years or older do you like you know like it just it's so bizarre why is that the thing that's in their head and the fact it's so like frivolous and fun and they're killing people as they're singing it like i just love that kind of dis disjunction between kind of the song and the lyrics and the fact that they were just you know blindly murdering people so all right the second question i have for you uh, what character did you enjoy most this week? Or did you enjoy a particular arc or moment in one of the characters this week? I liked the uh, Carrie stuff. The morphin and like chest arm type. Yeah, Inside Out Carrie was, was the only thing that could compete with David for me this week. Because I felt like this was a very David-centric episode. Dude in the red suit. Oh, the electrified guy? Yeah. I feel like... I, I mean, I should definitely know his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, I don't but, remember um... his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part where... I loved when he was like, what are you going to do? Put <laughs> office supplies into my face and then electrocute <laughs> me in a pool? You know, like... It's kind of... I, f- I forget yeah. their history sometimes. I really liked seeing Farouk in the Farouk kind of body right like the egyptian moroccan actor that they have now to play his original self and i kind of thought he was going to be more sort of regal or elegant but then he also had just like a used car salesman kind of vibe to him too you know like i just i got a, a good kick out of that i enjoyed it so all right last question is there something that you're hoping to see like what's something you hope happens as we move on in the season. More dance numbers. A dance number every five minutes. I need some change. I either need, like, them to get out of of uh, Sector 3, Level 3. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting all of my... Uh, you know, I need, I need them either to get out of that building, get away from the desert. I... Or some totally new visual area. Sort of like when they moved from the asylum to Summerland last year. I just, I need some change. I'd like it to see, um, 
I like it to be scarier again. Last season, it was very, it always, it scared me a lot last year, you know, particularly like all the stuff with him as a kid and like that, like angry boy character out of the, the, the children's book that would just like pop up all of a sudden, you know, like I never thought I'd be one for jump scares, but I liked that last season Shadow King felt really dangerous and they did that with the way Lenny was. They did it with like the like Mojo Ghostbuster version of Shadow King. Um, they did it with, um, like I said, like the little the little kid the storybook stuff with Shadow King. And Shadow King just seems much tamer and less dangerous, which is part of the reason I think they're shifting him to do a team up with David, you know, to like stop some bigger menace. But I would like him to do something that just makes me terrified that David will be in his presence instead of as comfortable as David seems to be. So, but yeah, uh, so that's Legion. I think, does that do it? Does that seem like an okay way to try to do that without nailing down? All right. Agents of shield. Uh, we did a 17th episode of agents of shield. Um, yeah, where are we? Are, are you guys still enjoying it, or is the season starting to drag on a bit long? <laughs> Not that I mean to prejudice your opinion at all with my question, but... <laughs> I mean, I watched this episode live on Friday night, and I don't entirely remember much that happened today. I actually, preparing for the podcast today, I was kind of like, oh, I need to watch S.H.I.E.L.D. And I was oh, I did, but I don't remember it. So I should watch it again, but I don't entirely want to watch it again because I don't remember it being anything I want to see again. Um, and I don't think it's a bad episode. I think it's just, I mean, they have had consistently awesome episode after awesome episode this season. Um, so, I mean, one or two dragging out here, you know, in like the third quarter doesn't bother me. Yeah, I didn't mind it. Um, I, I got real upset when apparently all they needed to do for this Steve Rogers, Captain America machine was take a hammer to that one part, like once. And it's like, ah, it's all broken now. But yeah, I didn't mind it. I just had a issue with that part. And even Von Strucker's like, oh, we can't use it. Like, why'd you, why'd you build something that can be broken with a hammer? Especially when it's supposed to create the destroyer of worlds, but it I'm I'm kinda I am souring quickly on this season. I loved the space future stuff so much. And it was high concept and there was like they were just throwing all these different things and every week there was kind of a new layer and a new concept and I was like, Wow, this is really great. And um I recently was watching a comedians in cars getting coffee where Seinfeld talked about how they made Seinfeld the show. And he was like, you know, we kind of found that the first like 10 episodes we'd write during the summertime and we'd have time to do them and we'd really love them. And then we could fake out another four or five, like do them pretty well. He's like, but those episodes like 16 through 20 is where it just really became a slug to get through it, you know, when we were making that show, that's how shield feels to me. I feel like all the outer space future stuff, 
they wrote over the summer and they had time and they really were carefully crafting something. And now it just feels like the scripts are kicking the can down the road another week. Um, and it feels redundant. I mean, if I told you, oh, we're going to have an episode where uh, they got to save Talbot and where the superior and a bunch of robots are going to fight Yo-Yo and uh, Hydra is going to have a sleeper agent that they're going to activate with a sequence of compliance words. And Coulson and May are going to have a conversation about their relationship. What season's that from? Season three, season four. I mean, it could be from lots of different seasons because it's like a replay of all the greatest hits. And all we would have needed was Grant Ward to walk through the door. And it would have just been, it just feels very rehashy to me to be bringing Hydra back. And uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, like the, the superior was never that great of a villain to me. Why he's back, I don't understand. I just, I'm just not, I'm not digging it. So, I see where you're coming from. What happened to uh, Carl Creel? He just wasn't in this week's episode. Like he helped them escape last week, and they just didn't even talk to him or anything. Right. With a lot of these actors, it feels like they looked at the SAG rules about like recurring characters versus like regular characters and how they had to pay them. And they just like baby Strucker disappears for two or three episodes at a time. Cause they don't want to have to pay him the next level of scale or something. That's what it feels like that they're just taking guys on and off based on those, those issues. You didn't like the Philinda moment though. I did think it went on one sentence too long. I didn't think she really needed to say the I love you thing. I just thought that made it super cheesy and it was kind of acted a little weird. I think she would have got the point across better if she didn't say that stuff. Because I think Phil knew what she was saying when she says, oh, people love you and things of that nature, you know? Or was I the only one that thought that that delivery was kind of off? I liked it. Uh, I, I love it's so Melinda May to finally say I love you to Colson and then end it with, yeah, I thought that'd shut you up. You know, like yeah. that was such a perfect May moment to me. And it's not that I disliked it. It's just, I don't know. How long is this going to go on? You know, it's like the new adventures of Lois and Clark. You know, they. They pretended, they pretended not to love each other for like five seasons to keep us going. It's just whatever. Is is Coulson actually gonna die or not? Yeah, the last episode's called the end. It's gonna be Coulson's. Would they make season? Would they make next season without Coulson though? Well, maybe we'll get. I mean, just because Grant Ward died didn't mean he ended. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Coulson is the new ward. They can make robot Coulson. They could make, you know, just store him in a LMD. I am suspicious. When the show ends, it'll end with Coulson dying and Daisy taking over S.H.I.E.L.D. And the reason I think Coulson dies whenever the show ends is because they do not want to reintegrate him into the movie universe. Like, they're willing to do the Captain Marvel thing in the past... But I don't think Feige wants his resurrection to ever be movie official. And so I think they have to kill him so that just so there's not the constant like, 
put Coulson in the movies again. He's not on S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore. Put him in the movies. Like, I think they'll kill him to make sure that doesn't happen. Or they'll go off and the team will, you know, become like the Star Jammers and travel, you know, intergalactically or go to the future. They'll make some way that they don't have to worry about why he's not showing up in the movies. So, All right, so our main conversation. We almost talked about this a couple weeks ago. And then we decided to be more negative uh, because we're just that kind of people. But <laughs> this week we're going to um, we're, we're building up to Infinity War. Honestly, that's all anybody wants to talk about, I think, uh, for the next 10 days or whatever until that movie comes out. Uh, so we thought we'd do a little kind of retrospective thing today uh, and ask what are, in your opinion, the most important moments in the history of the MCU? Like... How did we get here? What were the 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 the, the decisions and the, the the ideas that kind of really let this be what it is? Look back on the history of the MCU, um, and so maybe to put it in a more comic booky way, if a supervillain wanted to destroy the MCU, when would they go back in time and and try to thwart it? You know, like how would you uh, try to stop this from happening as as it has? So, um, if it'll work, hopefully, uh, I know I have three, so, um, let's try to, maybe we'll do them in reverse order. If you've got a list, if you don't have them ordered, that's fine. You know, the third most, second most, first most, we'll go through kind of like we did our film ranking episode. Adam, I'll start with you. What is your, uh, what are the most, what's the third most important moment in the history of the MCU to get us where we're at. I didn't have mine ordered. Um, That's okay. Just throw them out at us then. I, I'd say the first one that comes to mind is the, I don't know what to call it, the film dump, I guess. Okay. Uh, what was it? That was phases two and three, it was? Or what, that wasn't phase one included in that, I don't think. No, it was just phase three, actually. Was it really? Yeah. Jeez. So yeah, I just think the. I mean, they made every single one of those movies besides Inhumans. But I just think that was vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. uh... He's done it three or four times this episode. Actually, I think it's (laughs) it's it's planned. But I don't. I I just thought that was a pretty monumental thing for a movie studio to do. You know, movie studios seem to do it more frequently, and then none of the movies ever get made, especially by a certain other comic book company. But we don't need to talk about that. Um, you know, I just uh, shaped the shaped the universe kind of. I just thought it was cool. They flat out said, "Hey, look at us making all these movies. Or look at us making want to make all these movies." I should say. Yeah, and the fact that. I'm trying to remember the time. It was either it was the, I think it was the fall of 2014, maybe 2015. The guts to say, "Hey, we're so confident what we're doing that we're going to let you know right now the next 10 movies we're making and we're going to tell you what we're going to do 4 or 5 years from now and we have no fear that this thing is going to go bad." You know, like they put it out there and they did it and They've kind. They basically, you know, followed through and 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 accomplished what they said they'd do. So, that is pretty. It's it's insane when you look back at it. Okay, so my number three, 
um, is going to be starting the Netflix universe. Oh, okay. I mean, because that was revolutionary. I mean, the movies will never, ever reference it, and it'll never cross over. But when we talk about the MCU as a whole, this was a, I mean, this is a whole, we're up to what, 80 hours of television? 78 hours of television? Yeah, 90 hours of television? Um, based on that. I'm trying to do the math quickly. So we have two Daredevils, two Jessica Jones, a Luke, and an Iron Fist, and a Punisher. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Punisher. Yeah, I think it's a, at, at 99 hours now. And that doesn't include Luke Cage and uh, Daredevil coming out this year. So it is a lot of TV that they've kind of all thrown together. My number three, the decision to greenlight Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I almost put the hiring of James Gunn because I think Gunn's a big deal. But I I think people forget um, Gunn was hired after they decided to do Guardians. It's not like James Gunn walked in and pitched his version of the Guardians and they were like, oh, okay, that sounds great. And then they greenlit the movie. They already had plans. Like he talks about how he shifted and changed the direction of what they were doing when he got brought on board. Um, It's kind of insane when you look back at it, right? Like they were listing out all the movies they're making. They're like, all right, we've done Iron Man. We've done Cap. We've done Thor. We've done Avengers. We've done Hulk. What do we do next? And someone in the room's like, oh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Let's make that, you know, like it felt like the wrong decision when I saw it that they were going to go somewhere so weird and so out there and so different, but it really has been a huge, it changed the direction I think of the universe because there's a real risk again. I mean, I'll throw DC shade here, right? Like there's a real risk of just Batman and Supermaning it to death. You know, you take your most, your famous characters, the people with the best IP, the people everybody knows, and you just keep cranking them out again and again and again. And it's remarkable to me that we don't have an Iron Man 5 or 6. Because I think most studios would have beat the Iron Man horse until it was dead. And Marvel said, no, we're going to be the kind of place that makes Guardians of the Galaxy before we make Iron Man 4. And we're going to make Ant-Man before we do, you know, Cap 4. And I just think that's really cool. And it's part of the reason I like the movies. I think it's part of the reason they feel fresh. And I think that was a huge... Up until that point, all the characters were main, like, big-time Avengers. And, yeah, they were C-list characters, so to say. But they were still the core of the Avengers. And even Ant-Man had a little bit of that pedigree. But Guardians was the first time they said, let's take a comic book that even comic book fans don't read. And I think that was, it was big. It changed, you know, it changed the perception of what Marvel was going to be and that it was going to be a far more diverse and exciting place than the same four characters 18 times in a row. You hit the nail on the head with that one, man. That ties into my next one actually pretty darn well. Making uh, making Kev kind of the, the boss, you know? Who would have thunk making a comic book reading fan the head of a movie studio that makes comic book films would be a good decision, you know? I mean, when you have comic book fans making comic book movies instead of suits making movies, I mean, look what look what happens. You know, you get Guardians of the Galaxy, you get Ant Man, you get 
Iron Man who was, you know, even even when they announced Iron Man, you know, they made Iron Man because they thought it would it would uh, sell merch, you know. They had to make movies that didn't include any of their most popular characters at the time. You know, no Spidey, no Wolverine, no Cyclops, no Fantastic Four. So, making, making Kev boss and just kind of putting the faith in him to actually make good movies. Yeah, I have, I have many thoughts on that. I'll, I'll save them for later. <laughs> Rhiannon? So, that was actually my number one was, you know, breaking free from Perlmutter. You know, giving giving Feige his free reign, so that was to me that's that's the biggest decision that they've made. Well, yeah, I mean, let's explore that just a little more. Um, so there was a break, and we all heard about it when Feige got moved out from under there, and he also was um. He got rid of that Marvel creative committee that they had. That there was all that talk about that. Now we know like was trying to strip the music out of Guardians of the Galaxy because they didn't think people would like that, which, you know, sounds insane today. Um, I don't totally remember when that happened, but it, it basically happened close to the um, well, it happened after after the announcement of um the uh, phase three one that Adam mentioned, because I don't think Inhumans would have been part of that movie bunch if Perlmutter and the, the committee had not still been around. But we'll say that that cuts roughly between phase two and three. Do you guys feel like the movies have been discernibly different and better now that Feige has been unshackled from those guys in that, that situation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look at Thor Ragnarok. Look how visually beautiful... Thor Ragnarok was you know just look how many movies they've been pushing out in each movie I I mean we could probably say that each movie since then's had its own look and feel you know I mean if you showed me a clip from Thor 1 or Thor 2 I, I wouldn't be able to tell you which movie it was from you know or or the Iron Man movies you know um we have Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Ragnarok and Guardians. Even between Guardians and Guardians 2, there's a huge, drastic difference in look and feel, you know? At least to me, I suppose. My number two is the hiring of Robert Downey Jr. So, people have talked about this a lot, and I, I don't remember all the details, but it is very easy to forget that he was not always the world's biggest movie star. You know? And... I think something that's made the MCU really work is that the actors love doing it. Like I was thinking about this today when they came to Benedict Cumberbatch to get him to do Dr. Strange. I don't know if we know exactly how many movies he signed on for, but I would think it's probably at least five, right? Like they knew they wanted him for Dr. Strange. They wanted him for the two Avengers movies and they're going to want him for at least one, if not two sequels. So you're coming to Benedict Cumberbatch and you're like, hey, we know that you're uh, a growing star and that you have lots of limited time. What would you think about signing up for five movies? And people do it because Marvel actors always talk about how much fun they have. That set is enjoyable, that they like it. And you can contrast that to like, um, you mentioned Bond earlier, Adam. Daniel Craig 
hates his life. Like when you listen to Daniel Craig talk about Bond movies, he's made four Bond movies over like, it's been almost 15 years, I think, since he started. And he's made four movies in 15 years. And the last time he was on the press tour, they're like, do you want to do a fifth Bond movie? And I believe his answer was, I would rather destroy this glass table and slit my wrists with the the shards that are left than do another Bond movie. Now, since then, he's changed his tune and he's going to do another one. But you could tell that he's tired of it. He's fatigued. He hates it. It's not fun. And yet we listen to these Marvel people that are like, oh, man, I go on set. I hang out with all my buddies. We make cool, fun movies. Everybody has a good time. Everybody's always laughing. And I think a lot of that is Robert Downey Jr.'s like ethos and personhood just being like funneled into these movies where the cast are like, hey, let's have fun. And there's other guys that I think contribute to that culture. I think Chris Pratt is a lot of that. I think he looks like he's a lot of fun to hang out with. Um, I think Evans and Hemsworth have been part of it too. But in the end... It seems like you can't not be having a party if you're hanging out with Robert Downey Jr., right? Like, it's just who he is. It's what he enjoys doing. And yet, he's not out of control. He's not in jail. He's not in rehab. Which, again, is something that there was significant concerns he would be when they hired him to take that role. And the risk that was involved in that and the way that it has paid out and the way it's created a culture where people can go, yeah, I would love to do this six times is it's just so huge. I don't think any, I think we always underestimate how he's kind of shaped how much that you, how that whole system works and has made people comfortable. Yeah. If that guy can do it six or seven times in a row, I'm willing to sign up for it too. You know, he took my number one, man. Oh, did I? Was that yours? Yeah. Yeah, casting RDJ was my number one for all the reasons you just spelled out, you know. And I think, at least personally, I mean, if there was one character that I would absolutely hate them recasting, it'd be Tony Stark and Iron Man. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about it. I could probably make do if they decided to recast Cap, you know, and Thor and, and Banner and Star-Lord and all these characters. But I just think... You know, I mean, I'm looking at these guys, and yeah, I know everyone loves Chris Evans as Cap, but I, I, it's it's hard for me to picture someone else as Iron Man, and I'm not sure if that's just because he's the one that kicked it, this all off, or or what the deal is, you know. But I just, I think I would that would probably be the one that made me most upset if they recast. And I'm not even a huge Iron Man fan, you know. It's just RDJ as Tony Stark is perfect. You know, and like you said, they took a chance on him, and and there was, I think, there I read a bit where John Favreau had a, you know, had to convince them to cast RDJ as Stark, you know, and he was kind of a bad boy, drug and alcoholic type deal, you know, throughout Hollywood, and they took a chance on him, and so I'm not sure if that's, it wouldn't be nostalgia, you know, or if he's the first one that kicked it all off, you know, and we've talked about, you know, I think. Iron Man's probably viewed as better as a movie just because it was the first one, you know. So it might it, it might be that, but I just think Stark would be the most upset I'd get if they recast him. 
And it makes me wonder if Disney had owned Marvel at the beginning, would they have allowed Robert Downey Jr. to have been hired? You know, I mean, there's you get the sense that Disney really, I don't know, Disney seems to screen these guys pretty tightly so they don't get, you know, they don't get criminals uh, or people are going to make the brand look bad. So it's just an interesting what if, you know, because that decision was obviously made without without the mouse around. So. Yeah, I had to look it up because when Robert Downey Jr., like I learned about crystal meth because of Robert Downey Jr.'s <laughs> fall from grace. Like I remember that he was on Ally McBeal and like my roommate and I in college were watching that week to week because we like loved him on it. And she one day was like, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is not going to be on the show anymore. They caught him in a hotel room with crystal meth. And I was like, who's she? (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Which, um, yeah, that's like the second crystal meth reference I didn't get. The first one, the person was just like, I'm not telling you. Um, And I didn't... Google wasn't in my pocket those days. So, but I just looked it up and that was on Fox because I was like, if that had been on ABC... And you know, but yeah, that's a good point that Disney probably would have shied away from him. But I still think RDJ probably made a solid argument for being clean and being able to stay clean. And it's amazing. I mean, because he was really, yeah, on a slope. And to have stayed clean for 10 years is, you know, you hear about a lot of these Hollywood types. Or Hollywood types. You hear about a lot of these actors and stuff. You know, they clean up, but really they're struggling. And, you know, really they, you know, they they have ups and downs. And he was really far down the slope. So. And at the time, I mean, they didn't know how big this would be. But it, it generally does not work well to say, oh, hey, this person has an addiction. Let's throw $50 million at a time at them. You know, like the extra money and fame usually does not help somebody on the road to recovery. You know, Rihanna, do you have one left or have we, have we all, have we stolen them all? (laughs) I mean, you know, there's really big decisions. I mean, getting Spidey back was a big one. Or, you know, negotiating whatever they negotiated with Sony to get access to Spidey um, feels pretty monumental. But that feels like an obvious one. Well, you know, it's interesting. So I think there's an argument to be made they don't need him. Right. Right? That they could have still done this without Spider-Man. I think if we do this conversation in five years, that Spider-Man one might be bigger. Because we still live in a world where we have Iron Man and Cap and Thor, but if they start retiring some of those characters, I think the the, the Spider-Man clout is going to become a bigger deal. And the interesting thing that's come to me from this conversation is we could be going into Infinity War without Spider-Man. Like, he is not necessary to go up against Thanos. Like, it's really uncertain what his role even is. You know, his he didn't set up any Infinity Stones. He's not, you know ridiculously strong we I mean, you know he he's a superhero but to me he's not the one i would want going up against aliens if i was picking from the options we have but we would not be at infinity war without guardians 
So, yeah, because Guardians introduced us to Thanos. They introduced us to the Infinity Stones. They they created so much of what we're going towards. So I think if you... I, I mean, I just think that's really an awesome twist that I only thought about because you brought up Guardians. Yeah, my last one, we talked a little bit, but I mean, I think the biggest one has to be Kevin Feige, you know, becoming the head of this. Like, uh, it really hit me. I was listening to Collider Heroes the other day with, you know, John Schnepp and those guys. And they were just talking about how in Hollywood, uh, somebody who gets it all is not common, right? Like there's suit guys that kind of get the business end and are kind of cynical and they don't always get the creative side, but they know kind of what makes money and how to keep budgets down. And their job is kind of to keep the creative guys from going off the rails on, on budget or whatever. And then there's guys that really get the properties, but they don't understand the business side at all. And there's no appreciation of how that works. And they were just talking about how, Kevin Feige is the rare guy that can have the vision to do a 20 movie universe and then have the administrative skill to actually execute and hire and cast hundreds of people who are going to do their job well and on time and on budget to get a movie done. Like it sounds really mundane, but you look at um, Justice League, right? Like there's these movies that because they had because of several reasons they didn't have enough creative vision or the vision isn't tight enough or the studio's meddling and then on top of it you have you know so that 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 leads to the reshoots and the reshoots makes them more expensive and they have to move movies out or slow movies down or redo movies and then you know they're they're just throwing money at it and before you know it you've made a 300 million dollar movie Marvel just doesn't do that. When Marvel says, hey, we're going to make a movie and we're going to make it for $150 million, they make the movie and they make it for 150 and they're done. And, I mean, it sounds so boring and unsexy, but he's a guy who intimately understands why Spider-Man works and also understands how to get a movie put out on time and on budget. And that's... I mean, they, they can't replace him. This is my greatest nightmare for the MCU, right? Is if Kevin Feige ever left, there's no way it's going to be okay, right? Like, he is a one-in-a-kind kind of guy, and I just don't know. I don't know. I, my hope is, like, with the way that they're working with James Gunn, that they're going to start creating pathways for new guys to come in because uh, this universe, I think, needs that visionary to exist and, and function, you know? Were there any others, any other like moments that maybe almost made your list? Other thoughts in your head before we wrap this conversation up? I'd say hiring Scott Buck definitely played a big part in the way we see the MCU today. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you guys see, this is totally off top. Did you see the Teen Titan or the Titans TV show costumes this week? Yeah, is that show run by Scott or what? Because it looks like it. Oh my gosh, when I saw Beast Boy and it was just like a guy with green tips in his hair, I was like, no, this is going to be in Humans Part 2. I feel so bad for the fans of this show. You know, another one that probably, if we're going to talk TV, um, Clark Gregg has been unbelievably important. Like, when I see his face on TV, 
my bot like my brain just starts releasing dopamine levels you know i'm just like oh it's agent colson i love agent colson i'm so happy i'm watching this show and no matter how bad shield has been colson shows up and i'm like but i want to see phil i want to know what's going on with him you know like he has been really important i think to kind of hold a lot of that stuff together so he's a he's a um he's a comfortable place like a safe place Everything's awful, but here's Phil. Kind of like Starbucks always talked about the third place thing, right? Like people have first place is where you live. The second place in your life is usually your work. Starbucks wanted to be your third place, like your most comfortable. So it's like I have my family, I have my friends, and then Phil Coulson is my third person. You know, it's just <laughs> that's that's where I, I go to just feel good. <laughs> that would be an excellent T-shirt friends and family and phil <laughs> all right uh, i think that does it for our main conversation let me pull up our mailbag it's about that time um from soundcloud chris had a, a couple of comments uh he was talking about that cut scene from agents of shield with reyna and he said he believes that actually he heard was from the season one finale that they had cut that scene from the season one finale and then they just repurposed it as the cutscene, so they didn't actually get Ruth Nega to show back up. They just used something they had sitting in the vaults. So I'm going to believe Chris on all these things. He had several things to say uh, about Agents of Shield that require much more knowledge of Agents of Shield than I have. So I'm going to take his word. Um, he also said that if you go back, there's a picture that Robin drew earlier this season of some kind of goo with like six people in it. So he thinks that that was a foreshadow to Graviton. And uh, he also had some good thoughts on Eternals and who the Eternals are. So if you're still scratching your head like, what's that? Then read Chris's comments on SoundCloud because he has a better idea than I do. Um, on uh, YouTube, this is actually from a few weeks ago, but I, I forgot to pull these up last week. Anthony Wickeiser was uh, talking about the TV shows and he was just agreeing that he uh, his biggest worry with the TV is it's just too many networks and it's getting too difficult to follow it all. Um, here's a good question. Alvin was talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Do you guys think that if Fitz had just asked nicely and explained what he needed, that Daisy would have let him fix the power dampering thing? Or did he have to go evil? Did he have to go evil fits to get that done? Well, I mean, plot wise, he had to. What fun would it have been? Hey, Daisy, let me get that thing out of your neck. All right. You know, they could have wrapped that whole story arc up in a five minute segment. But I mean, I think if if the agents of Shield were real people and, and Fitz said it, yeah, I, I think she probably would have. But plot devices man <laughs> do you Rihanna do you think Daisy would have been okay with it no no I mean I don't know I mean but before okay so that would have been before she completely lost her trust in him so she would have probably wanted more time to think about it than they had I think we have to remember that I forget. I mean, was she suicidal or did she just say that she was going to stay in the future? Right? Like Phil Coulson had to knock her out and bring her back to the past because she was going to stay in the future, right? 
So she thinks that this is another one fills the key to. So Daisy thinks that she's the destroyer of worlds because of her powers. But they called her destroyer of worlds in the future because that was the name of General Hell's program or whatever. So I, I caught that in the like recap or the previous episode thing because Hale's the one that called that program or whatever the destroyer of worlds. So it's not because of Daisy's powers, it's that program and so I mean technically Daisy could be the one that didn't explode the world. Or maybe I maybe I totally watched Shield wrong, but I think the destroyer because that's why Phil got all upset, right? Is because he heard Hale say the Destroyer of Worlds thing, I think. I mean, you get the sense that it was mistaken identity for why everyone in the future thought Quake destroyed it. But how this went from a Hydra program name to something everyone in the world knew about, that seems to have been a plot element that has not fully been sussed out yet by the writers. It would be kind of nice for us to know what's going on, you know? All right. Um, other mailbag quickly. Uh, oh, um, we did release a new video to YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you should go over and watch it. It's called uh, Seven MCU Conversations That Need to Die. Uh, Pure Black Fire just uh, had commented that he really enjoyed that video. So thank you very much. Uh, and I also thought that I would um, give a shout out to Mr. Media Podcast. He kind of uh, ats us and talks to us on Twitter and stuff and includes us sometimes in videos and photos and stuff. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate that so much. I have, well, this is kind of just a little tidbit. Um, I talked to someone who saw Cloak and Dagger, the first half of, like the first half of the season. And their quote was, whoa, this is actually good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're going to, that's how they're going to advertise it. Coming to Freeform. Cloak and Dagger. Wow, that's actually good. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, that'll be good. It'll give us a little something in between Infinity War and um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I guess Deadpool's in there too, but yeah, that'll be good. All right, um, next week we will probably talk about something Infinity War based because we'll be four days in front of the movie and probably not be able to think about anything else. So um, I'm sure that will be something that we'll do in the topic for next week. So definitely tune in and listen. And uh, let me say the things that we do at the end of the show. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can interact with us a lot of different ways. You can send us messages on Twitter via at Marvel News Desk. You can also communicate with us on our SoundCloud or MarvelNewsDesk.com posts each week. Uh, if you want to support the show, we'd love for you to give us a buck a month over at Patreon.com slash MarvelNewsDesk. You'll get full access to our special MCU film ranking episode that we recorded back at Christmas, and that will be available only to Patreon subscribers. They also get early access to some of our videos like The Road to Infinity War or that MCU conversation video I mentioned. Uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Marvel News Desk. Uh, or the big one for us right now, we're still trying to build our subscribership on YouTube. So go to watch.marvelnewsdesk.com and subscribe today. Uh, you can help the show be more visible to others if you give us five-star reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. Uh, but the number one thing you do every week is you listen and you tell your friends, and we appreciate that so much. 
Thank you to Tim Cox for the logo. You can find him on Instagram at Tim V Cox. And thank you to Alvin who did a great job with our theme music. You can find him on a variety of social media platforms at the skull school. That does it for this week. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye.